Hello, regulars. You're listening to Floor by Floor, a Tower of God podcast discussing the latest chapters of the webtoon. I'm Viralene. And I'm Reziat. And we're your hosts. We want to welcome you to the second floor where we'll be discussing chapter 567 or season 3, episode 150. We've got a lot of tasty bits of lore and backstory, but first, a quick recap of the last chapter. So in the last chapter, Cha contacted Jinseng via pocket, and they were aware some trouble was brewing above them, but Jinseng said that they should leave it to Yuri and instead starts planning their own escape. Turns out Matt is not a spear bearer, but a doper, a person who uses elements to reinforce their bodies. Jam Jam can't fight him in close combat, so he counters him with dragonfly observers carrying ballistic missiles. Obviously, Matt goes into full defensive mode, and he turns his whole body, plus Shark Nose, the dugong he's riding, into concrete. We didn't do a POV change to where Jinsung reveals there's a Lopopia insider who gave him the information on where the battleship is located so that he could invite the people to come to the marriage tournament. But before they escape, this insider wanted to meet them. Kirin gets a request for backup for Jam Jam, and so we're introduced to Lopopia Kororo was an insider branch head, and he's the only backup available for Jam Jam because everyone else is asleep. He doesn't seem concerned about it, though, as he triggers an explosion on a different floor and prepares to leave. During Tiara and Yuri's fight, Tiara explains her book can manifest anything as long as she has a scenario with a subject and it's rooted in reality. The chapter ends with Tiara showing off how the book works by writing that she can return Yuri's red velvet sword attack fourfold and then manifests it into reality. So there was a lot of movement in the story, but there was still a lot of unresolved and unexplained questions. So let's move on then to chapter 567, hopefully find some answers. Well, Rezzy, our chapter predictions last week were blown out of the water. <laughs> oh, well. I'm glad Siyuki surprising us with unpredictable turns in the storytelling. I just hope he doesn't off-screen things in order to placate the loud minority clamoring for plot progression, even though we're definitely moving along. Well, we can't always be right. Maybe CU is just keeping us on our toes. I feel like he's really trying to find that sweet spot of giving out information and progressing the plot, and I feel like he's almost there. The next chapter doesn't give you as much whiplash as you'll see. So the chapter opens with the snakes bursting out of the bathroom from behind Bomb and grabbing him before he can attack. Just kidding, that was just an opening introduction, and we cut to Lilial and Endorsey's fight. It looks like Lilial is stalling for time as she asks Endorsey some questions, but Endorsey sees right through it as an attempt to buy time and keeps beating her up. Lilial is asking the hard-hitting questions like, how could Endorsey fall in love with a Slayer candidate? Endorsey brings up the eels over rice, a throwback to season one where Bomb offers her a bowl of food in return for her signature for the friends list. She says that she was so used to devouring the bloody flesh of the competition that she didn't realize how good food tasted, and it's only around Bomb that she can actually enjoy food. Lilial doesn't understand what the heck she's talking about, and Endorsey just mocks her for being a kid for not being able to understand this supposedly adult theory. There's more insults exchanged as Endorsey tells her basically to go touch grass by telling her that she needs to go meet people, build relationships, and Lilial dismisses it as something completely useless. As they argue, Lilial has a big orange cat beast stalking its way towards them. Seems that this is what she's been stalling for. And Dorsey, though, now starts asking questions, and Lilial obliges because it just buys some more time. And Dorsey asks what's up with her and the snakes, 
and Lilial says she doesn't really know. And of course, Endorsey threatens her with more violence in the form of slapping her face 3,000 times. Lilial then goes on to explain that the snake seems to know her mother and said that she'd been kidnapped by the Slayer candidate, but dismissed it because it must be a misunderstanding. There's no way her mother would be involved with such a lowly creature. And then we have Galaxy Brain and Dorsey, as she remembers what Bomb said, puts two and two together and tells Lilial she thinks her mother is actually here. Lilial reveals that her mother is one of the wives of the head of the Lopobia family and is the granddaughter of Commander Robodon. But it's not until Endorsey insists and drops the name of Laura that she finally gets Lilial's attention. Who screams and loses her mind and scares her saber-toothed tiger jaguar as of yet confirmed cat pet into not actually attacking Endorsey. It's a very comedic little scene. It looks really cute. And of course, Lilial gets increasingly upset and demands Endorsey take her to the Slayer Candidate. They're still fighting while Endorsey asks her why she should help her. And Lilial tries to appeal to her by saying that she's family and they should help each other out. But Endorsey says she's never had a family, so she doesn't understand any of that. Ouch. So Lilial appeals to her a different way and tells Endorsey that she sent the snakes after the Slayer Candidate. And if she doesn't tell the snakes to stand down, he's going to be in danger. Obviously, Endorsey now has reason to act, calls her a crazy bitch, and we cut to the next scene. So there's a lot that actually went on in that scene. So let's go ahead and break it down and see what kind of information we've learned from all that. So to this opening section of the chapter, we have not only Endorsey and Lilio actually starting to fight a bit because it's not an all-out battle, we have Lilio struggling to find out what it is as driving in Dorsey to risk her seat as a princess of Jahad to help a Fug Slayer candidate. This is dangerous for both of them because it means immediate expulsion from their positions. So what is it that would convince someone to do this? And it's nice that we get this call back from Endorsey about season one when Baum was helping her out when she was injured after the position test about his having brought back an eel bull and how the food was absolutely delicious when she hadn't had anything, when she was used to that, devouring the bloody flesh of the competition. Which a lot of people have taken as some sort of cannibalistic tendency of Endorsey that she used to have and doesn't anymore. But that's not actually it. <laughs> yeah, whether that's literal or not, we don't know. Uh, see you, please explain. I miss his little notes at the end of the chapter because I feel like that's something he should clarify. Was she actually a cannibal, or is this just metaphoric? We'll never know. We'll never know. But it does seem like a facetious comment just to get Lilial off her back. That the only reason that she followed Bomb in the first place was because he made her food taste better. But if we want to dig into it a little deeper, it is also one of the first times that she began to build a bond with someone outside of just being alone. So I think that's kind of what she's implying. But obviously, she's not going to explain all that to the enemy. Oh, she hates Lilial's guts right now. There's no way she would spend some time explaining all of that. While I feel like Endorsey would now understand the idea of family, the way Lilial was trying to appeal to her with childhood family was just not working. As been stated on the hidden floor, Endorsey says how she never really grew up with parents. And she says so in the chapter. She can't relate because she didn't have a mother or a father. Or, to shorten it, she did not have family. So she doesn't understand helping other people just because they're family. 
And that's a pretty sad thing. <laughs> yeah, hopefully she doesn't still feel that way because I know Bob would be very upset about that and probably be prompt to correct her that she does have family. That's what makes him so lovable. It's nice, though, because ever since she's met him, um, it's never been direct change, but just his influence and his presence and his decisions has begun to make her somewhat reflect and reconsider who she is and what her actions are. She's still that brash princess we know. She's still very headstrong and tries to solve things with violence and shouting. But she doesn't actively try to be selfish anymore. She doesn't act selfishly in order to overcome her enemies or be superior in the light of whatever events are in front of her. She doesn't try to stand on top anymore. And it's interesting because essentially it's been changed to where she's fighting for something instead of just herself. And we kind of see this with Kuhn as well. He's no longer really planning on things selfishly as he used to be. He's fighting for a cause, a reason. And even if that reason is just bomb instead of just themselves, you know, it still changes them as people. And when they act individually, they're becoming better people. Yeah. And her fighting Lilial is an interesting reflection of who she used to be. Lilial is definitely a mirror of who she used to be. Selfish and trying to achieve her own goals in whatever way she can. Because the tower promotes that sort of selfish self-preservation. Mm-hmm. Lilial is the perfect princess, and does that make Endorsey any lesser? I mean, in Lilial's eyes, it does. So there's some interesting reflections going on there and just them being together. At least me as a reader was a reminder of how brutal these princesses are actually raised to be. Law of the jungle, killer be killed. It's very interesting to see people willing to sacrifice themselves or hinder themselves or at least distract themselves with someone else's business. So then we have Endorsey spilling the beans that she knows that Lilio's mother is there in a hotel and that Baum was the one who kidnapped her and knows where she is. We all knew that this particular fight was going to get interrupted in one way or another. Endorsey and Lilio are both too important to the plot right now for one of them to suddenly be knocked out of commission. And it's very funny to see these two girls, who were once at each other's throats, starting at the name hunt station, to suddenly start working together for a common cause. How do you feel about this endolulio little truce and team-up that's happening now? If there was going to be some sort of interruption, I suppose that'll do. We want to see Lilio as a person, nonetheless. This is an opportunity for her to kind of to change sides, Bomb does have that ability of changing people's minds. So what's another ally? And even if she's not an ally, at least becoming a neutral party in this would be beneficial, of course. One less person wanting to kill the poor chestnut. Yes, one less person would be great. At least someone to acknowledge him that he's not just a murderous fug slayer. You know, he really is a human, a very powerful irregular, but he's not a bad guy. He never was. And that just because he's caring about others and shows resistance with his power doesn't make him weak. Yeah, I think she expected him to be this, this blood-crazed murderer that pushed everyone around and made them kiss his feet. It turns out it's the very opposite. He's a sweet little guy who just wants to protect his friends. But to a princess, that's like the worst thing that you could be. So it makes sense that she thought he was weak, but as they will see, that's not the case. Indeed, because now we get a sudden POV switched over to Bomb. 
And we've all been clamoring for this. We want to find out what happened to Baum after he got abducted by the danger noodles. We switch to a panel here where Baum is held up by the snake master, just completely tied up in his danger noodles. And to keep the snake from attacking him, he yells Laura's name to make them stop. He tells them that he knows where she is and that if they kill him, the snake will never be able to find her because he's hidden her presence with his Shinsu, so nobody knows the room that she's in without him, essentially. And in an effort to get the snakes to let him go, he offers them a deal that the snakes tell him why they need Laura, and if the reason for that is not impure, he will tell him where she is. But if Baum finds the reason for the snake master needing Laura, and if her life is in danger, he will use all of the force available to him to get answers from the snake master. Confident Baum is definitely a force to be reckoned with. Unfortunately, the snake master sees this as a threat. He ends up not conceding to what Baum says because he doesn't trust him, and threatens to pry the location of Laura out of Bomb, and they start fighting each other. So as we know, the snakes can't actually be hit with physical attacks. So Bomb, knowing this now from his previous experience in a couple chapters, decides to come up with a different approach to attack the snake master. What he does instead is gather as much Shinsu as possible inside the room to up the density of the Shinsu, so the snakes have a hard time moving around. He realized that the snakes themselves tend to move and flow with the Shinsu, so they've been relying on speed and agility in order to avoid attacks. And now that the Shinsu density is so thick, he's actually able to summon the Red Thrissa and actually slice some of the snakes, and snake heads go flying everywhere. Bomb actually snickers a little bit. Success! That confidence keeps shining through. It's so nice to see him confident. It's been a long time coming for him to have the power to just dominate things. With this, the snake finally realizes that Bomb is a threat. So instead of depending on speed and agility, it decides to go on the offensive and consolidate all of its snakes into weapons. These big long claws form together and strike at Bomb. And he manages to dodge them for the most part. But as he does so, they start unraveling and going after him in individual strands. So he decides to say, F this, and summons this blue and red Thrissa out in an explosive show of power because he suddenly evolved them into a level 3 metamorphosis. And it's nice because we get that panel with the promotional artwork and he looks so pretty. Standing tall, looking tough, like no one... Is going to take him down. I love that promotional picture so much. Indeed. He's ready to kick ass and chew bubble gum and he's all out of gum. <laughs> There's this awesome fight sequence here. It's not too much of a fight, but enough. Where Bomb manages to block some of the Snake Master's attacks with the Blue Thrissa shield. And with that attack blocked, he manages to jump up in the air, do an amazing backflip, that panel's badass by the way, and lands on the Snake Master's shoulder and puts the Red Thrissa's blade to its throat and demands that he tell him what it is that the Snake Master needs Laura for. Demands, but he does use the word please. Bomb is ever polite. And with that, he tells the Snake Master that he will decide whether or not to tell him where Laura is after hearing his story. I do love that. Bomb remains polite throughout the entire fight. Here's this big thread that has been killing and shredding people up, and he's just dominating it and asking politely. It's amazing to see him doing this. The confidence is just 
dripping from this man right now. Yeah, I feel like that definitely changed with Leviathan. And we're all eating it up. It's so nice to see this side of him. Indeed. And Sia knows what he's doing with that shredded shirt. Mm-hmm. There's so many good shots of him slashing his weapons and flipping through the air. And we're just getting little slivers of skin. His nice, powerful arms. <laughs> just a lot of fan service shots. It's nice. I'm not going to complain. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> for him, for Dorsey, for Lilio, for everyone, everyone's enjoying all of the artwork. Seriously, the team is doing an amazing job. For real, the lines are so crisp. Everything is balanced. The fights are very easy to understand where people are moving now. There's no big laser shows like there used to be. There's still plenty of lasers, just not like entire panel long blasts, which were fun to see. But at some point it got too much and I started to lose track of what was going on and who was firing at what. And I'm liking this, this new layout. For sure. A lot of those laser shots and things were just things that seemed to work a lot better with horizontal panels or things that printed manga would allow for. But in the vertical scrolling format that Webtoon uses, it's a lot harder to convey those wide shots. And it's nice that we're coming back down to like a grounded type of fight. And CU seems to be rolling back on what he wants to do with Bomb's powers. Instead of giving him some crazy new power-up or anything, he's having Bomb consolidate his existing powers and use those in new situations. Though I'm a little worried about him using these level 3 metamorphs. He says he can't really keep them up for long. And I'm a little worried he's going to tire himself out here before the night ends because there might be some more drama coming up after this snake fight. Yeah, as tough as he is, I still think he does hit limits quite often. So he should be coming up on his soon. He did just beat the crap out of Ren, and now he's beaten up some snakes. Come on, buddy, take a rest. Granted, this isn't at the same level as desperation as as it was with the White fight, where White definitely overpowered him and definitely would have beat him if it weren't for the way the fight played out. But it's still a drain on him. He's still fighting these creatures, these people that are stronger than him by default. Though I guess it's a little contentious to say that, seeing how he easily defeated Ren. But the Snake Master probably has some things up his sleeve we haven't seen yet. It is possible for the Snake Master to try something else sneaky, but I think, I think he's going to go along with Bomb at this point. Oh, for sure. Just to progress the story. Yeah, and Bomb knowing where Laura is, and it's looking for Laura. Yeah. <laughs> the deal is too sweet. Come on, snake dude. Just shut up and go with it, man. If you don't <laughs> want more noodles sliced off, just go with it. <laughs> I gotta say, the little bits of pieces of snake flying off, they actually looked pretty good. They looked ready to grill. <laughs> Some sushi? Yeah, they look like sushi. They look quite tasty. I don't know if maybe I was hungry when I was reading it, but check out those chunks. They look really neat. To be fair, these chapters drop super early in the morning for us, so, you know, breakfast. I did have a late breakfast. <laughs> but yeah, level 3 metamorphosis. The artwork for that panel blew my mind. I do wonder if the blue Thrissa is being powered up by the Leviathan, which enabled it to get to level 3. 
The level three shield seems to have scales reminiscent of a Leviathan and a big eye on it now. So it is possible that the Leviathan is a boost for the shield the same way the Yawn Flame, or the Firefish, was the boost for the Red Thrissa's level two metamorphosis back at the Wall of Peaceful Coexistence. Bomb's base power level seems to have increased, what with everything that happened in the Cat Tower and the Nest and his fight with White and absorbing his power. So it seems like it's natural that at this point he'd be able to boost both of these powers up to level three. But I find it very interesting how Bomb is able to kind of use these powers together. Like the Red Thrissa itself was one thing. With the Yawn Flame, it's become something else. The Blue Thrissa was his own thing. And now with the Leviathan, it's further become something else. And Bomb being an irregular, which is a sort of unlimited being, he seems capable of just like lifting these powers, beings, demons, or whatever they are, either to more powerful forms or their original forms. There's a little theory running around right now that these particular demons within Bomb are actually nascent forms of greater, more powerful beings that in the future may become incredibly dangerous, either to use, to exist, or some other form. And Bomb senses this inherently, especially with the Leviathan, that it's very dangerous to let it out. But it'd be very interesting to see where Bomb's power goes after this, especially with the direction it seems to be taking. I do find it funny how he sees these incredibly powerful beings and he's like, oh, no, 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 you shouldn't actually exist out there. And he just goes and Kirby's them into himself and converts them into these very powerful offensive and defensive abilities that I guess are much easier to control. I wonder if there's ever going to be a point where he'll lose control, kind of like how Yuri lost control with the ignition weapons. Will there ever be a point where it'll be too much power? I feel like we might get to a point where that is actually shown in the series, especially with the little hints that we see of the firefish breaking out of Kuhn's control. They are sentient beings inside Bomb, and the firefish itself, or the Yon Flame, is a sentient being as well. There could be a point where they do gather enough power where they might break out of Bomb's control, and maybe we might get that alongside what's going to happen to Kuhn when it's had enough of Kuhn's nonsense and decides to break free. Oh, and did you ever notice how power-ups and Tog seem to be color-coded? Like the Red Thrissa, the Yawn Flame, both of them have offensive capabilities and they're both colored red. The Blue Thrissa and the Leviathan both have defensive capabilities and they're both blue. The Leviathan itself also has some purple on it, so it's got like some offensive capabilities to it too, in that it boosted Bomb's Shinsu output. It's really interesting to start seeing that in this series from like season two onward, where certain people and certain things are color-coded specific ways, and you can kind of guess at what their capabilities are based on their color coding. So I have this fun little theory where Bomb's name being Viole, coming from the word violet, he's just going to end up consolidating these powers in some form or another and just becoming his own being, which is something he seems to be working towards. He does seem to be towing that gray neutral line. So him taking both colors and mixing them seems pretty on par. It'll be interesting to see how he uses that in the future. 
Yeah, unfortunately, any more progress on seeing Bomb's powers. And whatever's happening with the Snake Master gets cut off because we get another POV switch. So we cut to the hall where Bomb and Ren fought, and Lilial and Endorsi arrive via Bong Bong. They are met with a destroyed hall. There's all these monsters cut up into pieces, and there's a bloody heap on the ground. And Dorsey starts asking, who the heck could this be? So they walk up to see if they're still alive. When Lilio almost steps on the leech, it starts calling out, princess, princess. And it turns out Ren is still alive, but just his leech form. Ren confirms that the Slayer candidate did beat him somehow, and his body isn't recovering like it used to. It makes you wonder if, did he just get beat that badly? Or is this something that Bomb's ability did? that is keeping the body from recovering. But there's not much more that goes on because the chapter ends with Lilial being shocked that Bomb really did defeat a ranker, but not just any ranker, a Jihad's Royal Enforcement Division member on his own. Lilial, for the first time, is realizing Bomb's actual power. And that should really come as a shock to her, to some degree, because, as you remember at the beginning of this arc, Lilial attacked Bomb like nothing, and he chose not to hurt her. And look what could have happened in the form of Ren. <laughs> With this, I kind of hope that she understands now that Bomb is different from most people. He easily could have overpowered her, hurt her, or at least put her out of commission. But he never did. And we'll see here, maybe in the next chapter or the next few, how Lilio will approach her from now on, seeing the destruction that he's capable of. And probably be forced to reconcile his cute, unassuming face with the bloody heap in front of her. With his shirt blown off. That could have been her, my goodness. And the snake missing a couple pieces of itself. They really did wreck that room, huh? It's destroyed. Just covered in, like, gross leech corpses and just what remains of Ren's male body. Things really seem to be ramping up here now, at least for this particular arc. So it seems like the next few chapters would be exciting. We are starting to get some questions answered. We're starting to get a little more backstory, a little more reasoning. It looks like everything is starting to come together to a climax. Indeed, it seems things are starting to consolidate into a single focal point. I feel like at this point in the next chapter, or at least the one after that, or at some point, we might POV switch back to like Jinsung and Cha again regarding the mutiny or treason plot. And maybe back to the snake and bomb, because these plot points seem to be beginning to tie together. With Endorsi, Lilial, and the rest being background spice that would drive the action forward in a hotel further. And the reason I believe that is because there's this really strong theory that Lilial and Endorsi both received power from strand snakes. Endorsi being from the snake charmer and Lilial from this snake master, who were fishing for potential princess candidates. They both may have been ordinary regulars before they were chosen from among potential candidates to receive a strand snake's power boost to put them above the competition. And those particular snake fishers would sell them to families vying for the political power gained by possessing a princess within their family. Part of this theory is supported within this arc by Lopo Biamur, stating that she once knew Lilial as being nothing more than a regular normal girl when they were younger. Like she wasn't going to be anything extraordinary. She didn't seem like anything extraordinary. And suddenly she's a jihad princess with power. A part of this is also supported from what we know 
with Endorsey's backstory from The Hidden Floor and her relationship with the snake charmer, where she states that had the snake charmer not killed her adoptive parents, she probably would have continued living as a normal, ordinary person. So, with Jinsung and Cha meeting with the insider branch head, or their mole, or whoever it is that they're going to speak to, and us finding out what it is that the snake master wants with Laura, we may be coming to a point where we're going to head towards a Haracha-level lore dump soon, regarding Liliel, Robodon, maybe Traumarai, and potentially Endorsey, dealing with this subject, or relating to it tangentially, as we learn about the internal dissent brewing within the Lofobia family. Yeah, it definitely seems like we're getting little bits and pieces of the story. And like I said, it feels like we're finally starting to come together to that climax where we're going to get that big lore dump of how all of these things are tied together. And hopefully it'll be an interesting story and it won't go on for too long. That Haracha chapter, I translated at one point. It was so long. It took me like 13 hours to do it by myself. <laughs> I was doing translating, typesetting, cleaning, everything, the whole shebang by myself back in the day. And yeah, that was just a massive lore dump for a character that was killed the next chapter. I get that it was more world building than anything, but it felt like it amounted to nothing. It was cool and all because, yeah, it gave us an insight to the desperation that rankers do go through in order to achieve their levels of power. Their struggles, their sacrifices, their everything, just to hunt down the power they need to survive. But it was so long. See you, please. I love you and all, but please keep it also brief. <laughs> but it also might be just some important information that just sets the stage for the rest of this arc. Or heck, the rest of this season. We are going into a war after all. There are still a lot of other elements outside of this little arc that need to be resolved. For example, what about the Pobedo family and all of their mess? We still got to figure out what's going on there. And then that ties into the Eurasia family. That ties into the overarching great family leader story. There's just so much to go through. Feels like we're at the tail end of a branch to a gigantic tree right now. It really does. So where do you think the next chapter is going to lead us? I feel like with Baum's transformation here. And with the dump of the Snake Master's reason for looking for Laura. After that, we'll be on the smooth ride down from the big climax mountain. So I think we're going to finally start getting some answers here in the coming weeks. Yeah, it really does feel like things are finally coming to the climactic point of their stories. I think Sue's doing a great job, actually. I know we complained a lot about the POV switches, but everything is coming together. Quite nicely, it feels like everyone's going to meet up at the same spot eventually. Although, I don't know how Jam Jam and Matt are going to end up. Or how relevant they will stay, because that felt like an extra dump. Yeah, it was a means to get them inside. And then after that, it's like, okay, now what do I do with you? So, I think that one will wrap up, not in a positive way. Someone's going to lose. And we know Siu is not adverse to killing people, so... Indeed. We'll see how that goes. A shame if it's off-screen, but at the same time, I would understand, because at this point, they are very much extra to the plot. Yeah, he hasn't left any ties with Matt into the main storyline. He served his purpose. He's done. Sorry, Sharknose. Sorry, Sharknose. No! Poor Sharknose. 
I do hope that at one point Lilio meets with Yuri. That would be hilarious because Lilio, this chapter right now to Endorsey is just like, why would you risk your extravagant lifestyle as an elite jihad princess for this random slayer candidate that's opposed to everything you would do? And then she meets Yuri and sees that Yuri's doing the same exact thing. It will just be like, what the? I want to see her world just flipped upside down suddenly. And it seems to be going in that direction with everything. Her entire life is just about to be flipped upside down. And unfortunately, she will not be able to be sent to Bel Air or anything to fix all of her issues. <laughs> She's just going to have to face them. But yeah, I'm excited for the plot. I'm excited with everything we saw with this week's chapter. I give it a good 9.5 out of 10. And we'll see where we go next week. Nice. Yeah, we did get a lot of information, a lot of little backstory. We only had three POV changes, so it's not overwhelming. I think we're on a good track right now. This felt a lot easier to follow along with than previous chapters. And that about wraps it up for this week. Thanks for joining us, regulars. We'll see you on the next floor. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.